Good morning once again and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I didn't introduce myself earlier. I apologize. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship. Uh, I would encourage you uh, as you're turning, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 as you're turning in your Bible. Let me just give you a couple things. We do have our annual Thanksgiving dinner tonight and we really want you to join with us. If you're a guest with us or if You've, uh, you know, only been visiting a short while and you're not sure. Uh, please come join us tonight. It's a really good time. We have uh, lots of space available for us. We rented a tent so that uh, for those of you that can bear the cool weather, you can uh, sit outside and uh, we can make sure we have plenty of space between the gym and the tent for everybody to gather and to enjoy a meal together. So I hope that you'll join us. Turkey and dressing and ham, yes, will be provided uh, so we ask you to bring a couple of sides and maybe a dessert tonight, but come join us. It's always a really wonderful time, and one of the things that we've become convinced about in recent weeks especially is that as our church has, has, has grown and experienced a lot of positive change in the last few years, uh, or excuse me, the last year and a half or so, uh, sometimes it's difficult to get to know one another real well, not, not maybe to know new, fa- new faces. So uh, come tonight, share a meal, maybe meet somebody new get to know folks a little bit better, Um, but uh, please do plan to join us. Right after service, we do need, if you're a guest, you get out of this one. If you're not a guest, you don't. Uh, We need some help getting things set up for tonight, so there's already a bunch of tables out, but tables need to be put in the the tent and uh, and in the gym so that we're ready to eat tonight, so uh, please do that. And then, just keep in mind, when everything is over tonight and everything is great and we, our bellies are all full, we still need some help getting it cleaned up. So uh, um, if you guys can, uh, can join with us and help us to get that done, it would really be appreciated. Appreciated, But right after service this morning, if we get some help and enjoy it. But, um, uh, and, and I think I need to say this, all right? So just brace yourself. We used to not have to, but people have shifted. and they, we, don't do, we don't do potlucks that much anymore. So I should clarify, when we say bring two side dishes, the idea there should be that your side dish is enough to feed your family and a couple more, okay? So if you're bringing a family of six, do us a favor. Don't swing by KFC and get like the small order of corn and bring that as your side, right? We're going to eat all that, you understand? All right, and uh, if for some reason you can't get that side dish, you show up. There'll be plenty of food, I promise, and I promise there'll be plenty of desserts, and we'll all gain a bunch of weight, and we'll go home happy. All right, having said all that, we're in the book of Acts this morning, chapter 9. We've been preaching through God's Word. We've made it all the way into the book of Acts. Uh, Take a quick brief in Acts, but next year, beginning in February of next year, we're going to start a deep dive in the book of Acts, and we're going to work our way through Acts um, systematically, beginning in Acts chapter 1, beginning in February of next year. But this year, we've been working our way through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and so we've made it to the book of Acts, and we will continue down this path until the end of the year this year. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. This is Saul's experience in Jerusalem after his conversion. So uh, if you'll remember Paul's testimony, and and let me just go ahead and tell you, this morning throughout this sermon, I won't be able to keep the Pauls and the Sauls separate. So they'll be used interchangeable. It's the same person, okay? Uh, The Bible refers to him variously by Saul and by Paul, and so I will be referring to him in and out. I, I just know that I won't be able to keep that separate this morning, so I want you to know on the front end that I'm talking about the same person regardless of which constant I use on the front end. But this is following Paul's conversion. He finds himself in Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse 26, 
When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you give us wisdom and learning and understanding and insight from your word this morning. Well, Lord God, as much as anything else, I pray that you convict us to be more like Barnabas, to be encouragers in our church and the world around us. Lord God, help us to make a difference with the words and the actions that we use. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Who's your Paul? Who's who's that person that's with you, or excuse me, that you're willing to walk with through thick and thin? That person that, that you're willing to build up now? Before we jump in, I want to remind you about Paul. Paul was not what we would call popular among the Christians, right? The reason they were afraid of him is because prior to this, Paul had been a murderer, a killer of Christians. He had been given permission and direction to go out and to find those who worshipped Christ and to arrest them and or kill them and bring them in to be tried. And it's in the midst of this that Paul finds himself in Jerusalem. And there Paul encounters a man that changes his world. And that man's name is Barnabas. And Barnabas changed Paul's world in in many ways, or or, or really in large part, because Barnabas was willing to encourage and build up Paul. Have you ever thought about how powerful a little encouragement can be? came across this story this week. In 2002, a World War II veteran named Russ Fay said he could still taste a pheasant and mayonnaise sandwich that he ate on a, on a train in the middle of Nebraska, North Platte, Nebraska, in 1944. And the reason that Russ Fay ate a pheasant and mayonnaise sandwich on a train in North Platte, Nebraska, in 1944 was because North Platte, Nebraska, took it upon itself during World War II to serve those troops traveling cross-country when they found themselves at the train depot in North Platte. North Platte was a small town in Nebraska with a train depot. The rural community got word 10 days after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor that soldiers from their own town, part of the Nebraska National Guard, Company D, would be coming through their train depot. And when they heard that, they mobilized, they got together, they got a bunch of people together. About 500 folks showed up to welcome the troops when they arrived and they brought food and they brought small gifts and they brought snacks and they brought magazines and books and love and words of encouragement. When the train stopped, it wasn't Nebraska troops. Instead, it was Kansas National Guard Company D. They didn't know anybody on the train. Well, rather than respond with disappointment, the volunteers decided to give their gifts to the group of soldiers they did not know. And a few days later, a 26-year-old woman named Ray Wilson wrote a letter to the local paper recounting the wonderful experience they'd shared on that night. She then suggested that the town organize a canteen for every troop train that came through and offered to lead the effort as a volunteer. For the next four and a half years, the people of North Platte and the surrounding communities served every troop transport train that came through that train depot. 
They served them with sandwiches, cookies, cold drinks, hot coffee, magazines, books, and snacks. There's stories even of popcorn balls that were made. And during rations, they didn't have access to the things they would generally have used and sugar and things like that. They, they would make these popcorn balls basically whatever they could find. But sometimes they would tuck little notes inside the popcorn balls for the troops to find. One of the neat things that some of the young ladies did was that they tucked their contact information inside of those so they could establish pen pal relationships with the troops as they came through. Two marriages resulted out of notes left inside of popcorn balls for troops. For the next four and a half years, the people of North Platte surrounded those troops with love. Watch this. By April 1st, 1946, they had blessed at least six million soldiers who had come through their train depot with buckets of fried chicken, birthday cakes, rolls, bread, popcorn, smiles, books, small gifts, and love. And as a result of that, Russ Fay still remembered in 2002 the taste of a pheasant mayonnaise sandwich that he reflected upon during times in Europe during World War II when the world seemed like it was going to fall away. He remembered one act of kindness and encouragement that helped him to endure the long days of a European war. Ray Wilson was the young lady that organized the volunteer effort. And Ray Wilson learned something on that very first day. And Ray Wilson learned what I want all of you to learn today. Ray Wilson learned that when you begin encouraging people, it becomes addictive and you don't want to stop. You just can't get enough. So this morning I ask you, who is your Paul? Now Paul is the greatest missionary that the Christian world has ever known. Paul wrote, the majority of the New Testament, beyond the Gospels. He, wrote, he, he gave us the most developed understanding of Christian theology that the world knows. We read letters like Galatians and Ephesians and Romans, and we really understand the development of theology as Paul works it out for us. But y'all, before... I can make that rhyme in my, my southern dialect, can I? Y'all, Paul, that word. This morning, I want to know who is your Paul? Who is the per person or who are the people whom you are advocating for? The people that you're building up and encouraging. The people that you're bringing along in the faith. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You do it one time. You see what God does through your words of encouragement, your acts of kindness. It becomes addictive and you can't get enough. First thing we see this morning is uh, as, as we wrestle with how it is that we can find that person or how we can become a Barnabas, how we can find our Paul. First thing I want to urge you to do this morning is don't rob God of his glory. Don't rob God of his glory. How many of you have doubted a person's conversion? How many of you have said something like, let's, let's wait and see? Maybe some of you have even said, you know what, I don't know if God will save a person like that. Or a person like that, I just, I've seen it go bad. Or I don't even trust that the Lord could work right there. Some of you have no doubt seen the Lord do a work in somebody's life and you question whether or not it could be real. Well, we'll see. Folks, do you understand that's exactly what's going on in Paul's life right here? The Bible says in verse 26, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. 
for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Listen, they knew what Paul was. They knew who Paul was. They knew what Paul had done, where he'd been. They didn't believe it was possible that God could use somebody like Paul. Let's just be blunt honest about it. They did not think that the Lord, even God, could change Paul. Sure, Jesus could do a lot, but could he actually change this man? How many of you have seen the Lord work in somebody's life and you began to wonder, is it possible? You began to doubt, could it even happen? Some of you have seen the Lord work in your own life and begun to doubt that perhaps that it was even possible that God could work in your life. Listen, we should expect spiritual fruit when people get saved. It's not wrong for us to, to, to say, well, if, if the Lord's done a work in somebody's life, we should see a change. But we need to be careful that we don't rob God of his glory. Careful that we don't assume that God can't change a particular person or a particular kind of person. Imagine what would have happened if Barnabas had been like everybody else. He goes, well, there's no way, there's no way that God could have actually done anything in his life. What if Barnabas had been like everybody else? Well, there's, there's no way that this Saul could be different. And everybody just turned their back and walked away. Do you want to be an encourager in the world? Let me tell you something. You need to have eyes to look for those people, where God, those people that God will work in when nobody else believes it. You need to have the kind of eyes and the kind of heart to see what God can do, what only God can do, and then to be the kind of person who's willing to come alongside and build up and encourage we shouldn't rob God of his glory by questioning whether or not God could, can, will, what, was, did, has, can save somebody. Folks, we have to trust in God's work. Now, when I say rob God of his glory, I guess I should clarify what I mean. A lot of times we go, well, God didn't do that, or God couldn't do this. Folks, what if we instead step back and we said, what has God done? What can God do? Do you want to be a, a Barnabas? Do you want to find your Paul? Don't rob God of his glory. Don't begin to believe that just because a person has a certain background, because a certain person looks a certain way or has certain experiences, that God cannot use them, that God would not use them. Listen to me. I don't want you to look in the mirror and say because you've got a certain background or certain experiences that God cannot use you or God would not use you. Some of you have experienced difficult things in life. Some of you have wandered far from Jesus. I want you to know that God can use your story for his glory. Sometimes you rob God of his glory because you begin to believe that God couldn't take your sin and turn it around for his glory and the good of somebody else. You know that God can take even your sin and use it to bring glory to his name. Don't ever look in the mirror and say, God can't use me. You might look in the mirror and say, God shouldn't use me. We all ought to look in the mirror and say, God shouldn't. God's got no reason, but let me tell you something. doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. God can use you because he's not dependent upon who you are or what you've done. God can use you because God uses his Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes in the world. God can take a murderous man like Saul and turn him into the greatest missionary the world's ever known. I promise you, he can use you. Don't rob God of his glory. Second thing this morning, if you want to find your Paul, or I should say your Pauls, if you want to find somebody you can encourage, somebody you can build up, don't wait to be asked. Don't wait to be asked. The Bible says Barnabas went and brought Paul. The Bible says in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, we're reading this a little bit, but the word that Luke uses for took 
at the very least suggests that Barnabas wasn't being passive. He wasn't just like, well, let's see who shows up. The Bible says he went and got him. Did he drag him kicking and screaming? Eh, probably not. Okay? But nevertheless, he brought him there. Is it possible that Barnabas said, well, they don't want, or Paul said, they don't want anything to do with me. I don't need anything to do with them. And Barnabas said, no, 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 come on. Come on, we're going to make this right. We're going to do this. There's nothing in here that suggests that Paul was seeking out Barnabas, but instead Barnabas sought out Paul. This isn't the only time that Barnabas is going to behave this way. The Bible says in Acts 11 that when there was work doing Antioch, Barnabas went and found Saul in Tarsus and took him to Antioch. He didn't wait to be asked. When it comes to encouraging others, to building up others, don't wait to be asked. Go find the person who needs to be encouraged and build them up. Get to work. Don't be the person who's waiting around saying, well, if they need me, they'll call me. Well, if they need me, then I'll show up. Folks, you know that some people want you to show up even though they might not need you. They don't need you, but they want you to be there. I've had this conversation as my kids grow up, right? Sometimes with your, with your young kids, you take them along to do something. Do you need my help? And the answer is no, I don't need your help. You're probably going to provide very little help at this stage of life. But I want your help. See, there's a difference there. Some folks, or some of you are waiting for somebody to call you up and say, I really need you to do this. Folks, don't sit around waiting for somebody to call and tell you they need you. Look for somebody that needs to be encouraged or built up. Go share that word of encouragement, that hug, that note, that text. Who are the people that you can find? There's always somebody you can encourage. Where are you going to find them? In your church, there's somebody today who needs to be encouraged. There's somebody today. And can I tell you that even if they don't know they need it, even if they don't really need it, they will benefit from it? Go find somebody. In the checkout line at Lowe's. I had a conversation with a lady yesterday who I, 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 hey, it was a wonderful Saturday. I only made one trip to Lowe's. I actually got everything I need while I was there. I felt like I was a superhero. But I talked to the lady and she just laughed and she said, thank you for making my day better. Well, I didn't say that much, but apparently her day wasn't real well if that's all it took for me to help make it better. Maybe there's somebody in your house that needs to be encouraged. You go, what's the big deal? Listen, they're middle schoolers. They just need somebody to love on them a little bit. Maybe they come from a home life that we can't even imagine. They just need to be encouraged. When I look at the greatest teachers and coaches I've ever had, do you know they were all great encouragers? They built us up. They built other people up. They wanted people around them to be better because they were there. The worst coach I ever knew, hands down without a shadow of a doubt, the worst coach I ever knew looked at his team, which I was a part of once. He said, I don't tell you you're doing a good job. You shouldn't need me to tell you you've done a good job. Let me tell you something. There's a reason that nearly 20 years later that man has struggled to maintain a coaching position because he doesn't know how to build people up and encourage them. All he does is tear them down, rip them apart. He was really good at yelling and screaming and pointing out the insufficiencies in somebody's life, but he was absolutely horrible at telling somebody that they had done a good job. Folks, why in the world wouldn't we want to come along somebody and tell them they've done a good job? To love them in the name of Jesus. Do you know our world is filled with enough negativity? Now, we're not going to get into a you know, power of positive thinking kind of sermon. 
But our world is filled with enough negativity, enough anger, enough evil. We, we've, seen, we've seen at least two murders in our county this week, one, two in one night. Our world is filled with enough anger and hate and evil. Heaven forbid the people of God be known for our anger. You know, one of the things that's hurt my heart so much in the last 24 months or so has been the anger that is seethed within our culture. It's a political anger, and, and, and some have even labeled it as a religious anger. And y'all, it's across the board. And it bothers me sometimes that even within the church of God, that there is anger. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, self-control, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. How can we help somebody else to develop the fruit of the Spirit? By coming alongside them with joy. So don't rob God of his glory. I, I say that first in the church. Don't look around at those people that need to be built up and go, well, God ain't going to use them anyway. Well, their salvation isn't real. Maybe, it's, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason some people don't act like Jesus, even though they claim to have experienced Christ and salvation, is because there's not been enough Jesus people to come alongside them and tell them how to live? We talked about Lazarus last week. He walked out of the grave, but somebody else had to take the death cloths off of him. Has it ever occurred to you that possibly the reason that people don't walk and talk and look and live like Jesus, even after they've been baptized and saved, is because there's not been enough Jesus people that came alongside him and took the grave cloths off, that built them up and encouraged them and discipled them? There's not been enough Barnabas that came and grabbed them and took them to the church? You say, well, they said they're a Christian, but they won't come to church. Paul claimed to be a follower of Jesus. But he didn't want to go hang out with the people in Jerusalem because they looked at him kind of funny. Barnabas went and got him, drug him in, and said, Y'all, look at this man. I'll speak for him. This is a 21st century church. I bet Barnabas went and got him, drove him to church, sat down with him, introduced him to everybody. He could find, Hey, this is, this is my buddy Paul. Why don't y'all tell him, Hey. He called somebody before he got there. He sent him a text message. Look, me and Paul are coming. You give him a sideways glance, and me and you're going to have to talk after church. What I want you to do is I want you to hug him when you get there. They say, look, do you know him? Yes, I know him, but I know what God did. I need you to get over it. Stop asking, y'all. Stop waiting. Don't wait to be asked. Number three, celebrate and advocate. Paul didn't just encourage Saul. He celebrated him, and he advocated for him. He fought church, and I went there, and I was up front and honest with him. I said, you guys are looking for a student pastor. I can commit one year, but the Lord's called me to the pastorate. And I know that, and I, I've got to get my education. He said, I want you to write your resume. I want you to bring it to me to look at. But when you list your references, I want you Okay. Click. I know what it's like to be rejected, to be dejected. To be frustrated, y'all that know me well enough to know, to know, to be angry. I also know what it's like to have somebody to fight for me. Because I'll never forget, I went and I sat down with my pastor. He said, did you call and follow up? I said, yes, sir, I, I did. Well, how did it go? I said, well, he said it's still sitting on his desk. And that, you know, I, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready. 
My pastor at the time is a very reserved. And I said, you're ready. And if I said it, it doesn't matter what he says. I'll call him. I know what it's like to have somebody advocate for me, to go to fight for me. He said, Craig, he's never heard you preach. He's never sat with you. He's never worked with you. He said, we need to get this done for you. Man, my heart just swelled because I had somebody that's willing to go to the mat for me. They're willing to fight for me. Bible tells us that Barnabas did that for Saul. Everybody else is afraid. Barnabas struts in there with him. Y'all scared? Well, you better be scared of me too. I have arrived. Now, Barnabas knew he was taking a chance. And, and I suspect that Barnabas may have even believed that as Saul's star rose, his own star was going to fade. But Barnabas wasn't too worried about that. And, and I think I know the reason. Turn backwards, if you have your Bible, to Acts chapter 4. Verse 36. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Joseph was given a nickname by the apostles. Now, I love nicknames. Everybody in my house has a nickname. We even have nicknames for the dog, okay? We are a nickname kind of people. In my family, there are nicknames. I have some nicknames for some of y'all that I don't tell you to your face. Um, I'm just kidding. That's not true, mostly. <laughs> but Joseph was given a nickname. And he was given a nickname by the, the apostles, and they called him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement, or more specifically, son of consolation. In describing Barnabas, Luke tells us that he was the weos periklesos, periklesos, which means, that's the Greek word, which, which bears the same root word as the word Jesus uses for Holy Spirit, the perikale or the periklete. The idea here is that he's a helper, a builder up, an encourager. This idea that he is one, the son of consolation. Consolation literally means that he comes alongside those people who have been beat down. They've been hurt. They've been messed up. And he builds them back up. He is such that they don't even call him by his name anymore. He's not Joseph. He's not Joe. He's not Joey. He's not Big J. He's son of encouragement. This is who he is. Is He was a helper, an encourager, and he found those people that were beat up, and he picked them up. So what did he do? It was in his nature when he heard about what was going on with Paul. He went and found him. Why? Because he had it in him. And I suspect it's because once he began to encourage some folks, once he began to build them up and exhort them, he began to get a little addicted to this idea, this experience of building people up. Folks, have you ever done it? I love it. Now, my favorite, favorite, 100% favorite thing in the world to see is a woman to brag on her husband in public. Okay? I, I, it blows me away. Ladies, you have no idea the power you have over your husband. Y'all are the most powerful people on the planet. When I see a woman brag on her husband in public, I watch him stand up a little bit straighter. Y'all watch it. It's funny. It's amazing. 
She brags on him. Oh, he unloaded the dishwasher today. Boom, got me. That's right. I am the dishwasher unloader. Now, men, we're terrible. I talked about this a few weeks ago because we want to be noticed for unloading that dishwasher, you know. Yesterday, I had a checklist, and I checked them all off, and I texted a picture to Angela. Here it is. Look at what I did today. She's so kind because rather than roll her eyes, she said, good job, honey. It involved things like taking off the trash. (laughs) But this was who Barnabas was. He was an encourager. Folks, have you seen it? When you begin to encourage people, it begins to be addictive. Why? Because when you say something to them, their their tune changes. Their posture will change. Their face changes. All of a sudden, they, 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 maybe I can do this. But not just encourage, celebrate and advocate. Barnabas didn't just do it in private. Barnabas did it out in public. Like that wife that brags on her husband in public. That husband that brags on his wife in public. Men, buy your wives flowers. That's great. Do it. But listen to me. Make sure they get them at work. Right? I'm telling you, she'll be excited if she comes home and there's flowers. She will be over the moon if all the other people she works with sees her get flowers. Right? It's just that little bit of encouragement, that little bit of building up. Do those things publicly. Why? Because that's what, that's what Barnabas did with Paul. He brug him. He brug him. I don't know what that means. He grabbed him and he brought him there. Here I am. And I've got him with me. Oh, and by the way, this guy can preach. I've heard what he's done, and y'all need to hear his testimony. The only thing y'all know about is his past, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Barnabas says, look here. An interaction with Jesus changes absolutely everything. Barnabas was a helper and encourager. He celebrated and he advocated. And folks, if we're going to be that, we've got to be those kind of people that do that. We're willing to show up with the person that everybody else kind of raises an eyebrow about. We put our arm around them. We encourage. We build them up. We celebrate. And then finally, we join in God's work. Barnabas did more than just encourage Saul once. As I mentioned earlier, we encountered Paul and Barnabas together again in Acts chapter 11. So turn over there to Acts chapter 11. And just put you, I tell you what, just mark it. We don't have time to get into all of it tonight but, or this morning, but Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, the Bible tells us that God was doing a great work in Antioch. And so the, the, as a result of the work that's going on, Barnabas says, I'm going to go and, and, and do some teaching, help out, do what I can do. So he's preaching, he's teaching, but everything's so wild and crazy, he says, I'm going to need some help. And the Bible says there in Acts chapter 11, that in verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. There he is again, not waiting He goes and he finds him. And he took him. You see that word again? He grabs him. I'm telling you, the word here for took is not a sweet word. He grabs him and says, you're going with me. We're going to do this together. But watch. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is where the name Christian comes from. From the work that Paul and Barnabas did together. Together. 
Join God in his work. God was working there, but Paul did, or Barnabas didn't just go get Paul and say, I'm sure you can do a good job and send him on his way. He joined God in his work with Paul at Antioch. Folks, do you know what we call this? We use a good church word. We call it discipleship. Walking with somebody. Helping them to understand what they're supposed to do. Right? So discipleship looks like what? I see you. I see what you need to do. I tell you how to do it. Then I help you do it. Then I watch you do it. And then I send you off to do it all on your own. This is what's going on right here. He's heard about what Paul's done. He brings him to, to the disciples. And he says, hey, I believe this guy can do it. He takes him alongside. He watches him do it. Then he brings him to, to Antioch. They do it together. And then eventually the Lord's going to separate them off. And they're going to go their own ways. And Paul's going to do the work that Barnabas has equipped him to do. So I ask you this morning, who is your Paul? How are you encouraging others? Listen, this isn't one of those beat you up kind of sermons. Unless you're just like the worst encourager in the world. And if you're the, like one of these negative people, you ought to be beat up by this sermon. Christians ought to be happy people. Blessed, the psalmist says, is he who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That blessed means happy, joyous. Folks who have to work diligently to make sure they can get here on a Sunday morning. But even though Paul was the man, do you know that God used some pretty ordinary Christians to build up this man? See, you're sitting there going, well, I can't be Barnabas, Craig. I'm too far gone for that. Well, I wonder this morning, could you maybe be Ananias? We ain't even talked about him. You say, Craig, I don't remember you reading. I didn't read about him. But Ananias is a man that we meet in the very beginning of Acts chapter 9. Now, Acts chapter 9 tells us the story of Paul's conversion. Chapter 9 verse 1 says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way... What happened? He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling upon him was a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love, I love Paul's response. Lord, who are you, Lord? He knows who it is. He says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now look, he has just seen to the stoning of Stephen. He's walking to Damascus. He's traveling there with letters to arrest people. The Lord meets him on the road and blinds him and rocks his world. But then God does something profoundly unexpected. Perhaps even more unexpected than encountering Paul on the road. The Bible says that the Lord goes to a man named Ananias, a disciple, and he said, Ananias, I want you to get up and go to the street called Straight, find a guy named Saul, and I want you to tell him that I've got a job for him to do. 
And Ananias says, hold up. Wait a minute. Look, I've heard about this guy. Rumor was that he was coming here. I'm hiding from him. And you want me? This is the kind of place where broken people can show up to be healed. To be encouraged. and to be Where weary parents can come and be supported. Where weary caregivers can come and find solace and comfort. Where those who have failed in sin this week can come and be exhorted and encouraged. Can you be Barnabas? Can you be Ananias? Can you be the person who would be obedient to the call and the command of Christ to go and encourage somebody? This morning, that's the invitation. Very simple. Can you find somebody to encourage? Some of you may want to do it as we're singing this morning. Some of you may have been convicted during this message to know that you've been just the opposite of that in somebody's life in this church. And the response that you need to give is to go and apologize for tearing somebody down, offer to build them up. Perhaps this morning you need to pray that the Lord would give you that burden and that joy. As we sing this morning, I pray the Lord would work. And as we sing, I want you to be thinking about who it is that you can encourage before you leave here today. Let's make sure that we put this sermon into practice before we leave our campus this morning. Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I praise you. I thank you for loving us, for giving us Jesus. I pray that you'd be working our lives. In Christ's name, amen.